Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Seth Graham Smith. Seth is a New York Times bestselling author and a screenwriter, producer, and director of film and television. He is best known as the author of the New York Times bestselling novels Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, both of which have been adapted as featured films, as well as The Last American Vampire and Unholy Night. He's also the writer of the Lego Batman movie and producer of It, and is the co-creator, head writer, and executive producer of The Hard Times of R.J. Berger, a scripted television comedy appearing on MTV. In collaboration with David Katzenberg, his partner in Katzmith Productions, Seth is currently developing a number of projects for television and film. He's currently showrunning an anthology for Disney+, Plus, finishing up Kung Fury 2, and prepping an original horror movie, among many other projects. Seth, you have so much going on. Thank you so much for being on the show. We're excited to have you. Thanks for having me, man. My first question is usually, where are you in the world? I'm going to save that real quick, but I'm going to say, how do you maintain your life with so much going on? Well, I don't do a great job of maintaining my life a lot of the time. That's the problem. You know, I do have trouble keeping a healthy balance, I think, between work and, and real life. And um, something I think I'm getting a little better at as I get older, but I just, you know, I work every day. It's like any other job. I, I, I really think of writing as, you know, almost like a job that you, you punch in and punch out of. I sit down at my desk, you know, pretty much the same time every day. I write for three hours in the morning and then I take a break in the middle of the day and do whatever else I need to do, whether it's emails, phone calls. And then I do another session in the evening and then sometimes another session after that at night. But uh, I don't know. I've always been very sort of regimented that way. I've always approached writing as, um, you know, as something like you have to do every day, otherwise you atrophy. Love that. Going to my first usual question, which is where are you in the world right now? I want to assume you're in the Southern California area. Is that correct? I am in Los Angeles uh, in my office in my house where I spend 95% of my time. Was it like that before quarantine? I imagine before, obviously, you were spending most of your time in writers' rooms and driving around, that kind of thing. But how has it changed? It's changed a lot in that, you know, I'm, I'm running two shows right now uh, with two different writers' rooms, and it would not have worked oddly if it hadn't been for coronavirus. Like, you know, there's no physical way to bounce back and forth for two hours at a time between two rooms on two shows other than just to be on Zoom all day. And, and so that's what I do. And, and so in that way, it's, it's weirdly fortuitous, but um, I also really miss being with people and being in writer's rooms and getting that energy. And it's weirdly exhausting being on Zooms uh, in a way that's not exhausting being there in person with other creative people. It feels like you're uh, doing a live television show for eight hours a day uh, with zero commercial breaks. And I don't know, I think that's psychologically 
psychologically it's it's tougher than it than it seems and and i find that people are exhausted at the end of the day in a way that they weren't before but it also means that you know we just we all rush to get right to the point and get the job done because nobody wants to be sitting there looking at themselves on zoom all day so before quarantine i would basically do the same thing i do now but that would be at uh, the offices that that I have with my partners and and um, and staff, and I would basically just sit at my desk there, like I sit at my desk here all day. And but the the big difference is that you know collaborating with other writers on a television show is one of the most fun, one of the most rewarding things that I get to do. And and so much of that is because it's in person and you really get to know people and you have little sidebars and you have quiet moments and you, you know, just sometimes shoot the shit about anything. And that doesn't get to really happen in the, in the zoom era. So I'm really, really looking forward to getting back in physical writers rooms. You mentioned your partners and staff meeting the production company you work at, I believe Catsmith productions. I mentioned it in your bio. Can you, just for the audience's kind of perspective, walk us through what that means and how it came about? Sure. About 14 years ago, I was freelancing as a writer and, you know, writing for magazines, writing for newspapers, uh, writing nonfiction books uh, that you would, you know, see on the shelves at Urban Outfitters, books like How to Survive a Horror Movie and... uh, uh, a Spider-Man handbook and all these random assignment books, which were great, by the way. And I was having a lot of fun doing it. But I got a call from a television executive who I knew who wanted to know if I would come and sort of help out, I guess, as a producer on this fake documentary series they were making for CBS called Clark and Michael with Clark Michael, <laughs> with Clark Duke and Michael Sarah. Oh, man. And so... That's where I met David Katzenberg, who was just out of film school and working as a producer on this as well. And we just hit it off. And so after that, you know, we made a couple more things together and he directed a short that I helped write and produce with him, which became the proof of concept of the hard times of RJ Berger. And so we went, you know, from making a web series to making a short to making a full-blown TV show for MTV for two seasons. And that was really, you know, the first time that I'd had the the real budget and schedules and trucks and trailers, you know, it was, it was, it was TV school for us. And the first time I was ever in a writer's room, I was the showrunner and that's not usually how it works. And so I had to do a lot of faking it till I made it and a lot of learning on my feet and a lot of trusting other people. And I think that really I think that really helped because that's that's still how I run rooms in that situation. Very collaborative. No idea is a bad idea, and you know, um, I'm there. You know, there are ranks in writers' rooms. There's you know, story editor, executive story editor, producer, supervising producer, co-executive producer. I don't believe in ranks. I mean, people have their titles, sure, but um, I'm just as apt to ask you know the script coordinator for an opinion as I am from a co-EP or an EP. So uh, I think that that comes from feeling naked in my first uh, couple of seasons in television and really, really wanting people's help and appreciating the fact that the people who 
were much more experienced than me were were very kind and they were very generous with uh, with helping me learn how to do the job. The second half of that is, you know, so after David and I ran hard times for two seasons, it got canceled at the end of the second season. I had had some success with books at that point. I think Lincoln was about to come out and I was starting to get work writing movies and David and I were now, you know, a producing duo, I guess, officially speaking. And so we started a company um, about 10 or 11 years ago. And, you know, at, at first it was just, you know, incorporating the name and <laughs> registering the website. And, and, but in the last 10 years, it's grown to, you know, having offices and, and having partners and having um, people who we work with and, and we work together as a team to, find material, to find writers, um, stories that we believe in, voices that we believe in, and try to be additive, try to, you know, support artists trying to recognize their own visions as producers, and then also have a seat at the creative table. If I write something original, you know, it's not just the the traditional thing of, well, I wrote a, a script or I wrote a book and I'm just going to sell the rights to a producer and, and hope for the best. We will always take an active role in producing that project if it becomes a television series or it becomes a film. And, you know, that's just, it's not for everybody because, you know, it's, it's a lot of work trying to juggle a writing career and a producing career. And sometimes the danger is, you know, you can hurt both by spreading yourself too thin. Um, but, you know, for me, it's less about producing my own work than it is finding new voices, new writers, and stories that we are just so, you know, excited about and just doing everything we can creatively and and politically, and sometimes even financially, to help get those stories told. Love that. Dialing it back even further in time, what did you want to do when you were younger? Did you know you wanted to kind of be in the entertainment industry? Did you always want to write? So I, I guess I was nine or 10 when I declared to my mom that this was what I wanted to do, meaning I wanted to work in movies. And I was in Connecticut. I didn't have any connection to show business. You know, my mother had been a single mother for a while and had since, you know, remarried. And, and my stepfather was, uh, was a uh, used and rare book collector and had, you know, just a massive collection of sci-fi and fantasy and horror uh, novels and paperbacks in his basement. And that, you know, that informed a lot of sort of the next five, six, seven years of my life where I started to you know, sneak the Stephen King and the Dean Koontz and the, you know, Heinlein and the Bradbury and the Asimov off the shelves and sort of get my, you know, genre literary education. And at the same time, while I was becoming obsessed with Stephen King, I was becoming obsessed with Steven Spielberg and, and the film side of what was happening in the 80s when I was, you know, um, 10, 11, 12 years old. And I just, you know, for whatever reason, I declared, I picked a lane really early in life. And uh, I think it helped me in a lot of ways because, you know, I was so determined that this was going to be what I did that I devoted 
such an inordinate amount of time to reading those particular types of genre books and seeing the particular types of genre movies that I loved and whether that be horror or whether it be, you know, the, you know, the Amblin movies of the eighties or, or sci-fi and, and just getting a, a big grounding and horror as well, getting a big grounding in those. And it also hurt me in some ways, I think, because I was so focused through middle school, through high school, that I was going to go to film school. This was absolutely what I was going to do, that I think I missed a lot of some of the more formative, you know, experiences of being a, a teenager. Uh, because, you know, I I had I had my my sights set on gotta get to film school, gotta learn how to write scripts, gotta, you know, go out to Hollywood and and get a job. And and so, you know, that it worked out in the sense that those things did happen. But at the same time, you know, I think I would probably have a wider swath of things to write about if I had had a broader experience of being a young person than I did. Before we get into process itself, I would love, based on your experience, to talk a little bit about the similarities and differences between writing for books, novels, and writing for film and TV. I'd love to compare those processes. Would that be cool to kind of talk through? Yeah, of course. My first question, I guess, let's start with the inception of ideas. We could start, you know, from writing a book as opposed to writing a film script. Where do you, these days anyways, come up with your ideas and how do you decide on going forward with an idea? It happens in a lot of different ways. You know, Stephen King in his book on writing talks about the men in the basement who he sort of envisions, I think that's what he calls them. You'll have to forgive me if I screw it up, but it's something like that, where that's the way I envision it anyway, that there are, you know, in my case, men and women uh, and kids of, you know, every stripe with every conceivable sort of background and influence working together in a big bullpen. And when they have an idea that they all sort of get excited about, they put it in one of those vacuum tubes and they send it up into the conscious brain. And that's when an idea sort of pops into your your consciousness. And sometimes it happens out of nowhere, like in the case of Unholy Night, which is one of the novels I wrote, um, and which is kind of a genre retelling of the nativity story. I was pulling into a parking lot off of Robertson Boulevard in Los Angeles. And as I was pulling into the parking lot, I just had the thought out of nowhere, what happened to the three wise men after they left the manger? And that was the fully formed thought. It was just a question. And I don't know what subconsciously inspired that question. It wasn't even Christmas time. I think it was summertime. And it intrigued me to the point where I went into, you know, one of the notes apps on my phone and put it in my current notes document and just left it there. And, and then to answer the other part of your question, you know, it's when you, you know, ideas like that come a lot. And sometimes you go and chase them. You know, for instance, you can you can want to write about something that's happening in the world. So if you wanted to write about, you know, uh, racial injustice or socioeconomic injustice or, you know, any, frankly, of the, you know, incredible dearth of injustices we have now, you can go and chase that thematic and then arrive at an idea that sort of fits your style or your own ability to write about it in a certain way. But, you know, I typically will get those questions or those what ifs in my mind. And 
99.7% of them come and go. And, and then, you know, three tenths of 1% of them, they just, they just get under your skin and you keep coming back to them and you keep exploring them from different angles. And, and slowly but surely they become more and more fully baked. And that's true for a book. That's true for a screenplay. It's less true for a TV series, oddly, because, you know, TV series, they have to be built differently most of the time than movies do, because a movie needs to sustain your attention for two hours. And so you can have a lot of plot in a movie that does a lot of work for your characters in a television show, or at least if you want to have a television show with longevity and quality, you need to start from the characters because the characters need to be so fully realized and so three-dimensional that they'll start to tell you the story. And that is actually more like writing a book. And the difference between all three of them, books, movies, and TVs, I would say that, you know, a script for a movie feels the most like a technical document, meaning that, you know, it's full of, you know, blocking instructions and and sometimes even camera instructions and it's full of descriptions of action that are very detailed and and then you know dialogue and it's it's very it can be very idea driven it can be very plot driven um but it has that you know very tried and true typically a three act structure and and you sort of hit those traditional beats and and there are people who are great at not hitting those beats and making great work i have to for me, I have to pretty rigidly adhere to those structural beats. Writing a television series, like I said, starts from a who are these people standpoint, at least for, for me, and really getting into a character's head and then building out the emotional world around that character. Who are their relationships? What do they think of this? Who, who are they you know, uh, competitive with? Who are they sympathetic with? Uh, and you have to almost do that for every character, every lead in your show. And then the story grows out of the character. Um, and for me, that's, that's you know, similar to a book, although a television show is inevitably going to be a much more collaborative experience where, you know, you have a lot of people uh, hopefully uh, discussing an idea and discussing characters and lending their own life experiences to it and making it fuller and richer. Whereas when you sit down to write a novel, it's you. Uh, and it's the most personal and for me, the most pure distillation of voice, uh, when you sit down to write a novel, because you are like, once again, Stephen King says, just practicing telepathy with a reader you'll never meet. And you're describing the inner thoughts of your characters. Sometimes you're describing, you can spend two pages describing what's on a table uh, whereas, you know, in a feature script, you'd need to do that in one sentence. So it's very different. It feels very different. But I think that I take the most personal satisfaction and feel the most like I'm practicing an art when I'm writing a book. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. 
I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writer experience for your free audiobook. What's your favorite film of all time? It might be a sophisticated classic, a childhood favorite, or an enjoyable pile of trash you just can't help but watch over and over again. The Pick of the Flicks podcast, hosted by me, Tom Beasley, is all about celebrating people's favorite movies in whatever form they take. Each week, I interview a different guest about their chosen favorite, whether I agree with their choice or think they're as mad as one of Tom Hardy's accents. So tune in to Pick of the Flicks every week on the Flickering Myth Podcast Network and subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Maybe your favorite film will be next. Hi, I'm George. And I'm Sam. And we're from the That's a Classic podcast on the Flickering Myth Network. We both bring three films each from a certain genre and we battle it out to find out which is the ultimate classic. So you can listen to us on Flickr and Myth, iTunes or Spotify. Check out what classic we choose every week. What about pitching an idea? Obviously, when you are writing a TV show, you're usually probably pitching that to a studio for a book, I imagine, to an agent or the agent is pitching to an editor. From your experience, would you find those two processes similar? Pitching a book and pitching a movie or a television show, I think, again, they're all three are different. Um, pitching a book, I would typically write uh, a, a summary or a sample chapter and a summary uh, of what I was thinking of and send it to the editor who I was working with at that time. Sometimes an idea would come out of just being on the phone with your editor and you know, talking about, well, I just did this and, and, you know, I'm, I'm feeling like I want to do something in this space or, you know, and just getting a feel for what they would be uh, receptive to, because you still do have to convince a buyer. I mean, unless you achieve, you know, a level of, you know, a, a Grisham like level of uh, success where you can just say, here's my next book and you're lucky to have it. You still have to convince someone to pay you money uh, and put the money into publishing and marketing that book. So I would typically do those pitches in written form. When you're pitching a movie or a TV series, you're typically pitching in person. For a movie, you'll be pitching an executive or executives at um, either a production company or a studio. And for a television show, the same TV executives at a studio or sometimes directly to executives at a network. And, you know, that different people approach that differently. I do it very theatrically. Um, I, I cram for my pitches like, you know, Rocky in a training montage. I pride myself on, um, walking into a room and having, you know, even if it's, I, even if I'm talking for 40 minutes straight and, you know, 7,000 or 8,000 words, I know that pitch cold. I'm off book. Uh, by that point, I've run it, you know, 30 times. I've recorded myself doing it, listened to it in my car again and again, listening for the parts that I'm, you know, tuning out of and then going back and refining. Um, I work really hard on pitches and I take a lot of pride in it. Uh, and by the way, I think that, you know, half of the reason I've had a career is that I'm good in a room. A lot of the time, better in a room than on the page, unfortunately. But it's an important 
tool in your writer toolkit if you want to work in film and television. Writers aren't always extroverts. They're not always theatrical or comfortable speaking. Uh, I was a theater kid. Like I said, I picked a lane early and part of picking a lane early was, you know, living and eating and sleeping and breathing uh, all the theater that our school did and whether it was hanging lights or singing and dancing. And, you know, I was all about the drama club. And, uh, and I think that really helped me learn how to perform at least well enough to perform to a small room um, of, of buyers. So, uh, but then, you know, some people are perfectly fine going in there with, you know, a printout or, or note cards and sort of looking up, looking down. But I like to act pitches. I like to do voices. I like to jump up and down. I like to get really excited. Uh, and that's just, you know, it's just personally what makes me happy. I don't know that it's any better or worse than anybody's process, but that's how I approach it. You just describe writers as not always being extroverts. And you also at the same time describe writing a novel as the most personal and pure distillation of voice. But you're a showrunner for two shows and you're working in writers' rooms where there's multiple writers. So can you walk us through, you touched upon it earlier, but can you get into the more granular of going from writing solo and kind of having that complete control to going into a writer's room where there's many voices and you're kind of having to work collaboratively? Yeah, I mean, I love both. I feel incredibly, incredibly grateful and fortunate to be able to work in both because they're both very satisfying. I love talking with people. I'm social. I love the give and take, the exchange of ideas, the what ifs that come out of, you know, even sometimes arguing over something. Uh, I just think that when you're talking about having to make, you know, 10 or 13 or sometimes even 22 episodes of a television show a year, you'd better have a diversity of voices and life experiences coming to bear on that. Otherwise, you know, you're either going to burn yourself out uh, trying to do it all yourself, or uh, even if you don't burn yourself out, you're really, you're, you're not giving the show uh, its fair shake of uh, really of, of representation. And I don't mean that in, you know, representation being diversity, although that's important. I mean it in terms of a representation of different life experiences. Everybody, every single writer brings their own life experiences, their own fears, their own, you know, backgrounds to bear. And I think that if you don't respect that and you don't listen to those voices, like I said, even if it's the writer's PA, even if it's a very young first time staffer, if you don't listen, to those experiences, those voices, you're only robbing yourself of making your show better. Um, so I, I really, I love, first of all, you know, I only hire people who I like personally <laughs> and who I want to see hours and hours a day on end. Um, because that's just so important. You know, you can't, when I meet with someone, even if it's via zoom, I can tell pretty quickly from a personality standpoint, like, okay, is this a person who is going to just be, you know, um, energetic and fun to be with on a daily basis? You know, some people don't believe in that. Some people are just like, look, you know, do you do the work well or don't you? I believe in an environment. I believe that, you know, a room should be fun even when it's difficult because it's always difficult. Uh, and so, 
again, that's just how that's just how I approach it. And so I actually look forward to being in the room with, you know, the staff on um, the Disney Plus show that I'm doing right now with this anthology is it's a pretty young staff. Uh, they're all, you know, most of them are on the newer side. And it is one of the best experiences I've had just in terms of personalities, the ideas, the execution, the people, you know, nobody's like a grizzled old veteran who, you know, is bringing some kind of cynicism, just showing up and phoning it in. Everybody's excited to be there. Everybody's really proud of, you know, of their drafts and and their ideas. And I'll take that any day over, you know, hiring a bunch of, you know, big level, high level people who, you know, you just have to manage egos and hope that they don't, you know, flame out on you. But um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely fortunate. And then, yeah, on the other side, sometimes it's great just to go completely inward and uh, challenge yourself, I think, to be as honest as you can when you're writing a book. You know, even when I'm writing books with silly titles like Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, you know, you'll read in that book the fears of a guy who, when he was writing that book, had just had his first kid and looking down at this tiny little infant and just being so, so scared, scared that something was going to happen to him, scared that I wasn't up to the task of being a father. And like, so there are moments in, in that book that, you know, Abe Lincoln is looking down at his son and thinking the same things. And, and those are, you know, very personal, very emotional sort of like, here are my fears, warts and all, I'm going to put them down on the page. And uh, and, and there's something very, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm an exhibitionist, but I think, I think that's when, for me, that's when I do my best writing, when I get past my ego and I'm able to just tell you, look, I am scared or I am, uh, elated or I do this and it's probably embarrassing, but you know, maybe it'll, maybe it'll help you because you do the same thing. I don't know. Um, all I know is I, I, I just, I feel very fortunate. Seth, are you ready for what we call a series of seemingly random questions? Yes, absolutely. Please bring on the series of seemingly <laughs> random questions. The first one, if you could take any writer to any fast food restaurant, which writer would you choose? Which restaurant and why? Wow. That's a great question. Um, I, you know, I would, uh, I would take Damon Lindelof to any hot dog stand in Yankee Stadium. And I would do that because uh, Damon, like myself, is a lifelong Yankees fan. Uh, And because he recently made one of the best seasons of television I've ever seen in the history of TV. And, uh, And I'm grateful to him for it. And I think he deserves a hot dog. You mentioned that Cat Smith Productions supports artists trying to produce their own visions. For those writers listening right now who have their own stories that they want to get made and get told, do you have any suggestions for them on how they can kind of get their work out there, get their foot in the door? I imagine your company is always looking for you know new writers, new stories. So what is your advice to those out there trying to get their work out? Yeah, we are. We are always looking. And, you know, the only the only roadblock that we put up is we just because there are legal hurdles to, you know, someone emailing you their idea. I get emailed ideas out of the blue uh, all the time and directly from 
the writers and I have to instantly delete them. And it's not me trying to impede anyone's dreams, but you know, just from a legal standpoint, we we have to have things come through us through a representative so that there's a document of us getting the idea on a certain day, on a certain date, because, you know, unfortunately there are some unscrupulous people out there who will rip off newer writers and uh, just take their idea and never give them any credit. And that's terrible, but it also means that we just have to be sure that we're protecting ourselves and protecting the writers by making sure that things come through us through a channel. So what do you do if you don't have that agent? What do you do if you don't have an editor or you know, you're just trying to get your things made? I think that today there are so many more avenues for people to get heard than there were uh, even 10 years ago or even five years ago. I mean, people are getting signed off of TikToks now. People are getting signed off of YouTube channels all the time. Uh, you know, People are posting articles or stories on sites like Medium, uh, people are getting signed off of their Twitter accounts because you can hear that they have a voice. They have a comedic voice or a dramatic voice, just, you know, 140 characters or however many characters it is nowadays at a time. And so, you know, I think social media is a, a big tool. I think, you know, again, nothing is more important than material and generating material. And, you know, and nothing is more important than just going to the writer gym every single day uh, and working out because, um, you know, it is a process. Like it took me, you know, I've been living in LA now for over 20 years and trying to do this with my life. And, you know, it's only in the last maybe four or five years, not even, that I feel a little more comfortable in my skin in terms of, okay, I am writing at the level that I'm imagining I'm writing. Now, this may be the best I can do, but you know, at least I'm I'm living up to what's in my head and people can judge me by what's in my head versus my ability to get it on the page. You know, I like to envision and you know, if my friends are listening to this right now, they're rolling their eyes because they know what I'm about to say because I've said it 3 million times, but I always think of it like a pipeline between uh intent and execution and when you're born, you have this pipe in your head and it's just full of barnacles and sludge and gunk and garbage. And the only way to get your intent to match your execution is to start running water through it and cleaning it out slowly but surely. And that is writing, 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 writing horrible shit that you'll put in a drawer and never share with anybody and then pull out 20 years later and go, oh my God, Look how bad I was. And writing, even if it's writing 100 words a day, even if it's writing 10 words, you know, it's better than nothing. But every word you write, you're just one word closer to cleaning out that pipe and getting to a place where what you intend to write is what you execute. And that takes a lot of time. And the only way to clean that, that, <laughs> that pipeline out is to, is to run stuff through it, run material through it, write, write, write. Um, I really believe that. I really believe that the only way to become a better writer is by writing. And then second to that, by reading. And that, I think I had a leg up in that I had a stepfather who was, you know, an avid reader and who encouraged me to read when I was a kid and specifically genre fiction. And I had a mother who was an editor for a publisher. And so, you know, was very literary minded. So I was a reader early on and 
when I started reading those Stephen King books, I started writing my own little short stories and God, were they just, you know, horrible, of course, but at least I was running material through. And I think that's where I see a lot of people go wrong. I get the question a lot, like, well, you know, if you were an aspiring writer, what would your advice be? And my answer is always stop aspiring. <laughs> you know, like that's the aspiration is the problem. You should be sitting down and writing. You know, there's no such thing as an aspirational writer. There's either a writer or someone who doesn't write and be the person who writes. Even if, like I said, it's a hundred words a day or, you know, a two page short story, you're one step closer than the person who isn't writing at all. I love that. One of my next questions was going to be, if you had one piece of advice or learning from your career that you'd like to pass along to those writers listening, what would you say? Would you say your last answer sum that up? I would say it sums it up, but I would also add persistence to it. You know, I came out here to LA with a whole sort of, you know, social group of, you know, all the people you meet when you move to a new city. It's like, oh, you're a writer too. Oh, cool. Oh, you're a director. You know, and when you move out to LA and you're in your early 20s, you know, it's like everybody you meet has a screenplay. Everybody you meet is going to be, you know, the next Scorsese. And, and so, you know, inevitably, as the years go on, you see those people start to drop off the radar and, you know, either decide that this isn't for them or decide they don't want to be in LA and, and move, you know, back to um, somewhere else. And I think that the people that have the careers that, you know, or stick around for a while. And I think those are the people that just, just didn't leave, you know, uh, didn't get discouraged to the point where they gave up, you know, and, and believe me, like you're going to get discouraged. I mean, I, by the time Pride and Prejudice and Zombies came out, you know, I had seen friends of mine get big agents and direct movies and sell big screenplays and make some real money. And I hadn't done any of those things. And I was feeling, I was starting to feel discouraged, but, you know, I just wanted this so badly and I'd wanted it for such a long time that I couldn't bring myself to give up. And the more people who I talk to who, you know, make it for lack of a better term, um, have that same story. They're like, yeah, there's, you know, seven times I could have quit. I was flat broke. I mean, and man, like I was, I was flat broken. You know, when my wife and I, uh, got married, I mean, we were just in such insane debt and we were so scared, but I mean, to her credit, she, you know, she said, you got to keep doing this. You got to keep, you know, freelancing and trying to write your specs and start, you know, writing your, your novel and, and doing all this. Like she was, um, scared shitless, but she was supportive. And so I think I would just say, you know, the only sure way to fail is to give up. That's number one. And two sort of related to that, you know, it's important to have a community. It's important to have relationships in your life that are supportive and loving and true friendships, because you're going to need those people in your life when things don't go the way that you hope they would go. Love that. My last question is the most important question. Normally, our producer would be here with me and I would say, please hand me the envelope. And then he would hand me an invisible envelope and I would say, drum roll, please. However, he's not here because of quarantine. So my question is, did you have fun talking with us about writing? Yeah, I did have fun talking with you about writing. Is there anything? I know you're working on a ton of things. Do you want to plug anything at all 
Yeah, I'm bouncing between two writers' rooms right now. One on a really cool anthology series for Disney Plus that'll be out next year, and then one for a super secret thing that maybe by the time this is out will be out in the world, or maybe not. But I certainly can't say it now. So, um, but uh, yeah, just um, I just I want everybody out there listening to to be well. I want them to achieve their goals and their dreams, and. I want them to write their stories and their stories are important and their stories are needed. And I am living proof that you can have a career and just be okay. Love that. I think you're one of the only few who have not only given a shout out to their own work, but also shout out to the audience at the end, which is nice. It's a nice touch. Well, you know, it's true. If I can make it, anyone listening to this podcast, I promise you, can make it. Well, thank you, Seth, for your insights and your time. It was an honor. And I felt like we just touched on the tip of the iceberg with comparing, you know, novel writing and TV and film writing. So maybe we could continue this at another time. Absolutely. I'd be glad to. It's fun being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to the writer experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.